Welcome to Geek Therapy. This episode is about the evolution of Star Trek's fandom. Although on the show, we're currently documenting the development of the Geek Therapy Library, which is a series of resources to help parents, clinicians, teachers to use pop culture with friends, family, clients, students. By taking a really close look at comic books, video games, and all sorts of other stuff that me and Lara in particular really like. And then we are, and we're adding all of that to the Geek Therapy Library as a free resource. But this week, we're not doing that. This episode is being published on September 8th, 2016. This is the 50th anniversary of the television premiere of Star Trek. So the first episode of Star Trek, the original series, was originally aired 50 years ago from the day we published this episode. And last week, there was a great event in New York City called Star Trek Mission New York. Our good friend, Dr. Ali Matu, moderated a panel on the evolution of Star Trek's fandom. So in celebration of Star Trek's 50th, we're posting the audio from that panel. Laura and I will be back next week working on the library. So happy 50th to Star Trek And live long and prosper, my friends. Hi, everyone. Hey, welcome to the evolution of Star Trek fandom. Uh, Thanks so much for uh, hanging out with us on this Friday afternoon. So, um, my name is Ali Matu. I'm going to be your moderator for today. I am a clinical psychologist, but um, what I also like to do is talk about the psychology of science fiction over at BrainKnowsBetter.com, and I can't wait for this panel and for this discussion. It's a 50th anniversary. Well, it's uh, about a week away from the 50th anniversary, and that's what we're doing here. We're celebrating the Star Trek community, the fandom, with this panel. So, without further ado, let me introduce our panelists. Um, So I want to introduce, first up, Ryan Britt. Um, Ryan is the author of Luke Skywalker Can't Read, staff writer at Inverse.com, and general writer and discussant of general things Star Trek. (laughs) So uh, welcome, Ryan. Thanks for joining the panel. Um, Next to Ryan, I was going to say on... Ryan's left, which would be your right, I always have a hard time with that, is Tekla Vassi. Um, Tekla is a actor at EST, um, also a New York native, uh, if I remember that correctly. And uh, you probably, if you're at all in touch with the Star Trek community on Twitter, you've probably seen her name all over the place there. So Tekla, uh, welcome to the panel. Um, we're going to go down to my friend Cece. Um, Cece James, uh, thanks for joining the panel. Cece is a co-founder of Singularity and Co, an independent science fiction uh, bookstore in Brooklyn. Also, where I got this great shirt, um, along with Ryan Britt as well. <laughs> we did not plan that. We didn't plan to have matching shirts. It just we had a little bit of a mind meld, uh, if you oh. will. Uh, ooh, too early? Too early or too late? Too late. Uh, <laughs> she's also the lead singer of London Plain. Uh, Cece, welcome. Uh, next to Cece is Josue Cardona. Josue, uh, you probably know as the uh, host and developer and publisher of Geek Therapy, uh, a podcast and website that is 
bringing together all things geek as well as mental health and has a growing network of podcasts. How many podcasts do you have right now? We only have three right three. now. Three, yeah. So he's pretty much his own podcast network. Uh, welcome, Josue. And last but definitely not least is Ed Gross. Um, Ed, you probably know because his book has been all over the news if you um, are following Star Trek stuff. He's the author of The 50-Year Mission, The Complete Unauthorized... Uh, the complete uncensored unauthorized oral history of Star Trek um, and is also the executive editor at Empire Online. Ed, welcome. Thank you. All right. So we are talking about um, Star Trek fandom and I want to dive into this a little bit. Um, Cece, mm-hmm. what was it that got you involved in Star Trek? What made you a fan? Um, episode three of The Next Generation, The Naked Now. <laughs> what was it about Naked Now? Um, I was totally new to Star Trek. I was in grad school, and I really... Am I talking too loudly? Am I way too loud? Okay. I just don't want to blast y'all with my excitement. Um, I was in grad school. I needed... I was, I was very late. I, hadn't, I wasn't a fan of Star Trek at all. I didn't know anything about Star Trek. But there was the entirety of The Next Generation on Netflix, and I thought... 300 and some episodes, that'll get me through the whole year. And I watched, I just started systematically, watched the first episode, I wasn't that excited. I watched the second episode, but the, the Naked Now, basically like the whole crew just kind of accidentally takes ecstasy and, and has a blowout party and everybody, they establish their sort of romantic tensions really early on and I, that, it, I, that, that's what got me. It struck a chord with you. It did, I don't, yeah. I love that because that's also a sequel to original series episode. That's right. And, which is always very cool. And it sounds like you're also more of a recent fan. You discovered Star Trek in, through Netflix. That's right. I was well into my late 20s. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, let's go to Ed. Ed, what got you into Star Trek? It's like one of those things where it kind of, for me, was always there. I mean, I'm sad to say older than Star Trek. Uh, so... Uh, it's really, it's like just a thing that's always been there. I mean, I grew up in Brooklyn, and where other kids were outside playing baseball and stuff, my friends and I were playing Star Trek. Um, I, was, I was Bones for some reason, and <laughs> I had a Tiger water gun that was my phaser, and a binocular case that was my tricorder. Nice. We saved Brooklyn from the <laughs> <laughs> So, but So from that point on, it's just always been a part of my life since I was six when the show debuted. How does one play Star Trek? You pretend you're Captain Bones, and yeah. my friends pretended they were Kirk and Spock. And yeah, I think I did a lot of, you know, I'm a doctor, not a, but I never knew how to finish it. So I just left the dot, 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 you know, because I never knew. Did you ever take on a Gorn in Brooklyn? <laughs> oh, in Brooklyn, you take on all sorts of things. I- <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, Tekla, what got you into Star Trek? I was really little. Um, I won't give away my age, you know, being an actor, but really little. And uh, watching Next Generation, um, I, th- the one that really sucked me in uh, was Skin of Evil. Mm. Um, and I think it's because um, in that scene where Counselor Troy is in the shuttlecraft and the thing is tormenting her, she refuses to hate it back. And she says, we all care for each other. And that just spoke to me like wow, to, um, to not hate something that hates you or is trying to kill you or killed your friend and to be that free and loving and that the, the crew all did care for each other. I wanted to be part of that crew. From then on, I told my mom I wanted to join Starfleet 
and I was going to also be a counselor. Um, and then as I got older and grew with the show, uh, I realized you can't join Starfleet, damn it. But um, I wanted to be an actor then, because I was like, well, maybe I can grow up to play an actor on one of these shows. And it seemed, um, it's, it's why I got into it. And then I fell in love with you know, Shakespeare, because they bring that up so much. And so it really um, made me fall in love with the theater arts and um, playing morality tales, because Star Trek does that so well, uh, just, just like Greek theater, Shakespeare, um, it reaches you through its lessons of how to treat each other humanely, um, what's good and evil, what is diversity, um, you know, how do you solve problems, and, and what, what makes you human, basically. So uh, I followed all the incarnations, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, didn't watch Enterprise, watched that recently, um, I was in college at the time. But I grew up with it, and um, and I love all of the you know the whole genre, and uh, you know I really feel like it led me on the path that I ended up following in acting. Have you uh, heard much Shakespeare in Klingon? Because I hear that's the the <laughs> best way to really appreciate it. Tak bah, tak <laughs> Uh, it's, I think it's so great when um, kids discover Star Trek at such an early age and they get some of those messages about um, inclusion and understanding other people. So that's, that's always such a great experience to have. Ryan, I've, we've talked about Star Trek a lot. I don't know. What got you into, into Star Trek? Well, yeah, I just was like nine and I was like done with all the Greek theater and Shakespeare that I was reading. <laughs> and I was like, what's next? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I guess I kind of have to defer to to Ed a little bit is that like in a way I, I'm not sure if I actually know what my first Star Trek episode was but I do know that I was seven in no I was eight in 1987 when Next Generation came on the air and I was already snobby about it not being the original series so like somehow my parents had indoctrinated me that hard that when people would say, what's your favorite show? I would say Star Trek in grade school and people would be like, Next Generation. I'd be like, that's my favorite show that's on the air. Um, (laughs) And that Star Trek, the original series, is my favorite show. Um, So, you know, it was funny. I was watching the Deep Space Nine panel earlier. Did anybody go to that? That was dope, right? Um, I was like, I was kind of like doing some notes for like, I want to like do an essay about like going to Star Trek convention when I was a kid because I saw Patrick Stewart at a Star Trek convention in 1991, right, for the 25th anniversary, and I would have been 10, right, when the year of Star Trek VI came out in Phoenix, where I'm from, and I was seeing the Deep Space Nine people today, and I was like, this is kind of like seeing, like, old family members that I'm out of touch with, you know what I mean, because I hadn't been to a Star Trek convention that was just a Star Trek convention that long, so for me, I don't know what the exact episode was, it was definitely something in the original series, I want to say um, it was the naked time just to like be buddies with Cece. Um, but yeah, which is funny because I actually did uh, tell my wife recently we were watching the naked time and I was like, the best Star Treks are the ones where Spock freaks out. Like everybody knows that yeah. from the original series. Those are the ones that are really, really good. So I feel like, um, yeah, it was probably an original series episode and it was probably with my, my mom and my dad. What I love about your story is uh, you must have made that transition to TNG because you're wearing a red shirt at this point, which no TOS fan would wear, but a TNG fan, yes. Well, I think that like I think that it was an affectation. Like I still think that I would claim that the original series, as a piece of pure 
confused art is still like a, a pure ex- piece of expression, but it doesn't mean it's like better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like a priori, it was like necessary, but it's not like better. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I could say, I mean, I would then also be able to say, I don't know, a friend of mine who's a uh, journalist for TechCrunch, uh, we're talking about this the other day, is he was saying like, Enterprise sucks. I was like, I would rather watch a bad episode of Enterprise than like pretty much a good version of other shows that people like. Like that's how hardcore of a Star Trek fan I am. Like I'm insane. Yes. Um. <laughs> yes. So uh, let's get a sense from the audience. So who, uh, uh, wait, 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 somebody. Jose, <laughs> I was saving for later, but let's let's dive into Jose Cardona, uh, Mr. Cardona. What got you into Star Trek? Keep it short since you seem to be in a hurry. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, for me, it was uh, TNG, watching it as a kid with my parents. They were really into it. I don't remember the first episode either, but like going back to Ed, playing Star Trek with pencils and pens in school, that got me through school. Like I had my own version of Star Trek going on. And then I remember when Voyager came on, I was like, now I have my own series, mm. right? I'll have my first episode, a premiere date and all that. And, um, and then now as an adult, it was rekindled when I went to Dragon Con, which is actually happens in Atlanta. It's happening right now. Um, I went to a DS9 panel. And I had never seen the show, but I fell in love with the cast. And now it's my favorite Star Trek series. Yeah. Playing with pencils, I used to pretend they were warp drives a lot. And remote controls for a TV, I would pretend those are starships. So I feel Removable like... erasers were my shuttles, and they would oh, yeah. go out. Yeah, yeah. I never <laughs> thought about that. that I, gosh, that, you're just blowing my mind right now. Um, so um, how about a, a show of hands if... Star Trek, the original series, is what, what made you a fan. Anyone here? Okay, a lot, a lot of hands. Okay, um, I always ask this question because I think it's so interesting. What about the animated series? Oh. Hey, look at that. Look at that, a few people. The animated series, often forgotten, soon coming out in Blu-ray, um, actually with this, with this re-release set for the 50th. How about the movies, the original cast movies? All right, yeah, we've got a little bit less hands for that. TNG, The Next Generation, good amount of people, a lot of our panel. Oh, yeah. we're supposed to be right here? Um, oh, well, we <laughs> Deep Space Nine? Okay, some hands there. Every Star Trek got you into Star Trek. That's what I, yeah, always good too. Yeah, yeah, and then I became a fan again, and then again. Um, and then I forgot about that episode, so I again became a fan again. Um, what about Voyager? Okay, so we got some love there for Voyager. Uh, Enterprise? I'm just going to raise my hand. For I, wanna, yeah, I, I just want to like yeah. support it. Yeah. It's yeah. like James Bond. It's Star Trek. I got It's go Star with. Trek. <laughs> it's Star Trek. Um, how about the J.J. Abrams films? Or Star Trek? Are we, are we just voting for things we like? Uh, at this point? point, I think so. Okay. What we have determined here is everyone here likes Star Trek. I meant Trek. to raise my hand for everyone. but I think yeah. that's safe, to, safe okay. to say. So we all know we're Star Trek fans, but what I'm wondering is, I'm going to throw this to the panel, what exactly makes someone a fan of Star Trek? Are you are you are you suggesting that there might be there might be faux Star Trek fans that we might not consider to be know. Star Trek fans because what? of something they like? I don't know. You tell me. What is this faux Star Trek fan? I don't. I don't want to say it because I don't believe in faux Star, <laughs> faux Star Trek fans, but. Feel some of us might well, you know, believe that. Well, no, but I mean, like you know, people that there are people that will 
make you do the Star Trek versus Star Wars debate. And so to me, and I like Star Wars a lot, but a Star Trek fan to me is someone who says, I like Star Wars, but definitely Star Trek. That to me <laughs> is the definition. That's very open. That's you know? a very open definition. But, I, but I, honestly, because I feel like that, that's the only time that it gets called into question. People will be like, oh, you like Star Wars? And I'm like, yeah, like I, you know... Which is weird because I, uh, I, you know, you know, I, don't know. I, I disagree with you because I think there's a, the, we were having a discussion earlier. I feel like there was some tension in the community amongst fans, and nobody raised their hands for the for the movies. I don't think anybody here was exposed to the m- new movies as their first exposure. I think there's some um, feeling in the the older fans that fans of the new Star Trek movies and that being their first exposure are not real Star Trek fans. That, yeah, that is true. Yeah. People people do think that about people, people that love that. the new movies. Like I get it, I get it online a lot. Like I said something the other day about how I thought that if Spock showed up on Discovery, that he should be played by Zach Quinto. And I had like five thousand people on Twitter telling me that they hate the JJ movies, and I think that's crazy. Well, yeah. See, that's the different. That's the thing about fandom. If you're, I made the joke a second ago about James Bond, right? Mm-hmm. Now I've known followed the Bond movies since I was a little kid, and I I have a choice. I either go with. I stop with Sean Connery, mm. or I keep going every time a new Bond comes, and it gives me great joy to know that all these years later, I'm still enjoying James Bond movies, still doing the same thing with Superman and the same thing with Star Trek. I may like one series better than another, but I'm just happy Star Trek is around, mm. and Discovery I can't wait for, and yet I go online, thank you. <laughs> well, it's coming back to where it belongs, which is television, uh, but... The point is that well, I read online, and it's sort of what you were saying about your 5,000 hate mails or whatever it was that you got in responses. I read sort of the vitriol against anybody who doesn't like somebody else's version of Star Trek, and I don't get it. And I'm not saying that my ideal of saying, well, if you're a fan, you're a fan. You don't have to like everything equally, but you don't have this hatred, this, this yeah. dismissal of anybody who doesn't like your Star Trek. Mm. That, to me, is not being a fan. A fan is sort of, not to get corny about it, but to embracing the philosophy of what this thing's supposed to be about before and mm. accepting the different views that people have, whether it's DS9, the original series, TNG, the JJ movies, which I still say saved Star Trek at the time. I mean, that's been my argument all along, that without those movies, I don't know where Star Trek would be right now, frankly. It is particularly ironic that, that Star Trek fans would divide themselves when yeah. really we're all supposed to be about well, that's the it. utopian... Yeah. right. Idic, right? Infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Yeah. Um, I agree. On Twitter, sometimes you see the meanest tweets about an actor or the new Star Trek or there's a division or um, some fans might get on the other fans or there's just pettiness and you're like, did you miss the whole point of the show that you claim to like? Because uh, maybe we could be following that, you know? And, and just choose a culture. Maybe you want to go Vulcan or Klingon. Is there any honor in what you're saying, you know? So just, yeah, it's kind of ironic. Even the Borg, I think they would just assimilate all Star Trek. Right. Right? Like, <laughs> they, yeah. They're very loving. Jose, what makes someone a fan? I don't know. For me, it's always been the community. Like having that with my parents was a big part of it for me. And DS9, actually with you, that's a big part of it. I told you, I think I want to watch DS9. You gave me like, this, these are the best episodes. Like that's the best show. You're doing the right thing. You know, and that made it a lot easier and it made it a lot more fun. And... This is a great community, and and like you guys said, like the show, those are the themes in the show. It's, it's it's a positive message, and for me, it's all about the people. So it's really something that you self-identify with, and um, and you just like it. If you like it, and you might like different versions of it, you might like all of it, but that's what makes you a fan. 
Uh, and Ed, you're talking about um, James Bond and other 50th anniversary franchises, including James Bond. We have Doctor Who, um, which is just celebrated 50 years ago. Very similar kind of thing. There's many ways to be a Doctor Who fan. You can like all of it. You can like one Doctor. You could just like the sixth Doctor. You could just like the twelfth Doctor. There's a lot of ways to be. Uh, yeah, the sixth. No one the sixth Doctor. <laughs> they, uh, someone got my Doctor Who joke. Um, all right, so let's let's go back. I, I got it too. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> got two people who, who enjoyed my Whovian joke. So, see, you can like Doctor Who and Star Trek. So let's go back to the beginning. This is a 50th anniversary. We are celebrating many, many, many um, wonderful versions of Star Trek, but we got to go back to the beginning here. Let's go back to 1966, 67, 68. Um, that era of fandom, as well as the years to follow after Star Trek was canceled and then shown on reruns where a lot of people discovered it. This was an era without social media, without the internet. This was an era before Star Trek conventions. And people connected through fanzines. There were letter writing campaigns where you couldn't really do much Slack division and just retweet or like something, but you actually had to physically write a letter. It's kind of a crazy idea, right? And we didn't have Star Trek stamps either back then. Um, we had to write a letter organize and get Star Trek resurrected for a third season, get the shuttle of the, uh, the first uh, experimental prototype shuttle named Enterprise. What was, what was going on in the world of fandom back then? Do you want me to? Well, go ahead. We default to Take you. It, yes. yeah. Because I'm old, is that what you're saying? No, no because you wrote a great book that documented it. No, that's true. We did do that. Self, uh, shameless plug. 50-year mission. Okay. Um, what, what I was amazed at, I think, in, in both Mark Altman and I in writing the book, this is the discovery we made, is what you brought up about the fact there was no social media, there was nothing. These were just people who fell in love with the show and first of all, had the wherewithal to know that if there wasn't a third season, Star Trek would vanish forever. They knew that you needed at least 100 episodes, but in this case, 79, to keep Star Trek on the air in reruns. And they knew that if it only lasted two seasons, it would just go into the vaults and nobody would think about Star Trek again after a couple of years. And it would have been over. So these people somehow, in 67, the first fanzine was published, supposedly the first fanzine ever devoted to a specific TV show rather than uh, science fiction you know, uh, novels and authors of science fiction novels to a TV show. Uh, that was Spock and Alia, and that was, I think, 67 it was. So they, they started the fanzine thing, and then they started the letter-writing campaign, which was, at the time, phenomenal. I mean, just unprecedented, to the point where, as we all know, NBC basically came on there and said, please stop writing. <laughs> we'll bring it back. I have a question. How did all these people know that they all needed to do this Because all one together? person would send a letter to somebody else, like B. Jo Trimble and, and her husband John, mm -hmm. would send out a letter and say, we need to keep Star Trek on the air. If you're in a fan club... Tell your fan club members and mm -hmm. tell them to write to 10 people to get them to write mm. to NBC. So there and were fan clubs already. There were already fans. People starting lit, just people about who were each pen other. pals okay. who had discovered each other. Oh, I'm a fan, you're a fan. And then they do the fanzines and they communicate mm. through the fanzines. Like, mm. here's a pen, list of pen pals if you want to stay in touch. Is, and that's the what the they would do. And it started, it is important yeah. because now you just go on Twitter, you know, Twitter or Facebook and you say, hey, you know, yeah, yeah. sign this, this uh, petition. Yeah, right, hashtag yes. whatever, save Star Trek. Um, 
so they started this incredible thing that got the show renewed for a third season. Unfortunately, Gene Roddenberry left after the second season, but that's a different story. Uh, and the show had a fare for itself and didn't fare so well, but it got its third season and went into syndication. And then those fans said, we gotta watch the show, and they all watched the show and fell in love with the show. The numbers increased, and then they said, let's have a convention. And the convention started really, I think, is responsible for everything that followed, because it put a spotlight on this fandom. Mm-hmm and inspired everyone to say, we need more. The animated series came out of that, and ultimately Star Trek The Motion Picture, which in turn lasted everything else. And the, uh, the last point I just want to make on that is the fans, it was the first time I think in the history of television that the fans said no. That a network said, this is done, and the fans stood up and said, no, we refuse to accept your answer. And they were right. What I think is so interesting about Ed's um, point in and what I didn't really realize until reading that in your book was the idea that the show getting into syndication and getting into reruns in the next decade mm. is what preserved it. It was like these fans from the 60s like, allowed the fans that found it in the 70s to exist. Exactly. Mm. And I think that is the thing that's sort of mind-blowing to me is that, that there's all sorts of media that could be easily lost. Like now we think everything gets digitized so you can get anything whenever you want, but it's just not true. That like that was like the that was the huge amazing amount of foresight those fans had, which I think that's just yeah. amazing. That, that that blows my mind is that because I think about people that tell me that they saw it in the '70s, and even my parents were like, "Well, it got popular in the '70s, right?" And that's like when it got popular because that's when it was reruns. But these people, when it wasn't super popular, still said no. Like that's the crazy. Yeah, it wasn't that's what popular. I mean. yeah, it's yeah. incredible. It's yeah. incredible story. Um, it makes you really grateful for social media. Um, Listening to all this, I mean, you can just pop on Twitter and just, you know, tweet your favorite actors and they'll write you back or um, see who's tweeting your favorite actors and write them. And um, I've met many people online that have become my friends because we shared common interests in Star Trek. You go to conventions and you meet people and you're like, oh my God, you know, your shoes and starships. And <laughs> um, yeah, and it, it just, wow, just listening to that, you're like, we're really spoiled this day and age, you know? They had to work back then. You had to really work. How how strange was it to have a convention back then? Like, was that like, were there conventions for all other shows or was that? No, that was the thing. There were science fiction conventions, but Star Trek, again, was the first one, for at least my understanding of it, the first one to have a convention devoted to a TV show, a specific Mm -hmm. TV show. And the science fiction community was very resentful at first. First, the Star Trek fans started going to science fiction conventions and they were like, snobs, why why, why are you people invading our convention? And then in January of 72... Because it was TV? Because it's because a it was, lesser it was a TV, art form? Yeah, it wasn't science fiction. It was television. Mm. It was TV sci-fi. It wasn't the same thing. Interesting. Because at the time, don't forget, science fiction had mostly consisted of children's shows or dopey sci-fi like Lost in Space. And, and um. with all due respect to people who like Lost in Space. Uh, but it wasn't the realistic science fiction. Gotcha. You know, so... So what is so interesting about hearing all of you um, talk, it, the, the word that comes to my mind listening to the story about the original fandom is community. It's community that saved Star Trek. It's community that brought it back. And there's something to say about the community and the relationship between the fandom and the actors. And this u- unique relationship that came out of the conventions where you could interact with, talk to, hear from, um, the actors and the people who are involved in creating this thing. That sounds like that was a very different idea at that time. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I guess that something that I have found as a fan of Star Trek that is always been interesting is not only 
were the actors always really friendly when I went to conventions as a child, um, and they really were, but the people that are also super friendly, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit, um, Ed, or uh, anybody who's done this, but the writers of Star Trek, there are so yeah. many of them. I feel like <laughs> during the 50th anniversary, I feel like that like as a journalist, my drumbeat has been, yes, Gene Roddenberry, but yes, the hundreds of other people that wrote Star Trek over the years. Um, and I feel like that like I am like lucky to have corresponded or interviewed or met some of those people um, as a fan and as a as a journalist, and I don't know, like the the sort of humbleness of the writers um, of Star Trek, kind of taken as a whole, kind of blows my mind a little bit. You know what I mean? Like you got people that are sort of like we're just kind of doing a job, and you know I always like the big name that I always throw out there is Nicholas Meyer, you know, who directed uh, and uh, wrote The Wrath of Khan and also The Undiscovered Country, which I know is one of your favorite Star Trek movies, um, and you know, you talk about moments where it could have pivoted. Uh, you were talking about Shakespeare and classic literature earlier. Like, if Nick Meyer hadn't, like, taken that assignment and, like, rewritten the script of Wrath of Khan and thrown on all the Dickens and uh, Shakespeare and um, uh, Melville stuff, it's like, would we then have had those films and then would we have these series? So some of these writers, I think, sometimes are the unsung heroes. And they're very, very kind people by and large, I've found, with, you know, a few exceptions, but <laughs> for the most part, very nice. You know, you say that, uh, the, the realization I came to the other day, and I, I don't mean to over speak this up, but Star Trek really is the second greatest resurrection story in history, I think. <laughs> the second? <laughs> yeah, sorry, I gotta, I gotta draw the line wow. somewhere, dude, but yes. Uh, Doctor, Who, Doctor Who being the first? That's what I was going for. Wow. Okay, so uh, let's talk about, uh, we, we just mentioned, uh, Ryan, you just mentioned Nicholas Meyer. Let's, let's talk about that era. So we're in the 80s now. The Star Trek fandom has grown. Uh, we had Star Trek The Motion Picture. Everyone's running around in their pajamas. And then uh, we've got Wrath of Khan, which sort of reinvents everything. It's becoming much more popular. And then William Shatner appears on Saturday Night Live. And we have the famous, this get a life, people. This growing stereotype of the Star Trek fan that started to emerge in the 1980s and maybe beefed up by what was happening with Dungeons and Dragons and all this other ideas about what it meant to be a nerd and a geek. Um, let's talk about that. What did the impact of this stereotype of what it means to be a fan and the rigid definitions of that, um, how did that impact the fandom? I'll go. Because <laughs> I was, um, when I was young, I actually was kind of, um, not, I wouldn't say shame, that's too much strong of a word, but I wouldn't tell people that I was a Star Trek fan. Um, I was huge dork in high school, glasses, braces, the whole works. Um, and I was teased a bit, and the last thing I needed people to know was that I was a Star Trek fan. For some reason, you know, I was already teased for getting good grades or for how I looked. And so to me, it was like my secret. It wasn't that popular at the time. And now it's such, it's so amazing to see like people get excited about it. It's really popular, and it's like, you know, on coasters or glasses or wherever you go, it's like advertised, and people are like, yeah, Star Trek. And I love that because I remember just, you know, not telling people because of the stigma, which was still kind of fresh, even though we're talking about the 80s, but yeah, I mean, 80s, 90s. But um, yeah, I just, I just love that it's now such a, a cultural rush. Oh, sorry. No, um, 
Yeah, I think that like the I think that the important thing to think about with the 80s films is and I think that Ed you can probably back me up on this is that like you you've got films that were getting critically acclaimed and also making money. You know, and that is important for you know, if you think about the history of science fiction entertainment um, prior to Star Wars, you know, you have things that don't necessarily get critical acclaim. You know, you've got your off, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey, you know, things like that. But for the most part, science fiction, particularly science fiction that has like complicated characters that you have to know about going in, the fact that you can even do Wrath of Khan or Star Trek IV The Voyage Home, which is the end of a trilogy story, and somehow have that be like the highest grossing Star Trek film prior to the J.J. Abrams movies. You know what I mean? For, so for years, that was the most popular film. Like, there's a lot of continuity that you have to keep in mind. Somehow those films, because they were so funny, um, they, they made it okay for somebody who didn't know anything about the original series to like it. To this day, most people that I meet that love The Wrath of Khan are unaware of the existence of Space Seed. Now, that is not to say those people aren't real Star Trek fans. That is to say that The Wrath of Khan was that well written. It was that well done, that it didn't matter. And I think that it made it accessible. I think that that's important because then a lot of then it's then it becomes huge, you know. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, Voyage Home was so successful too because it was set in our time and had modern day humor in a lot of ways. And Kirk with his old you know double dumbass on you and all, and all that stuff, which just that was pretty good. Thank you. Very nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, it had an impact on people that way. But in talking about the fans of the time, which, you know, mm-hmm. when, when you started the Saturday Night Live thing sort of threw a spotlight on the way the media looked at Star Trek fandom at the time, okay? I mean, because, you know, when Shatner's there saying, I'm going to do it again. When Shatner's there saying, yo, have you ever kissed a girl? I didn't think so. Grow the hell up. And the, and the kid with the glasses and the pointed ears just kind of goes, and looks down, right, the guy, right? And it, but it was such a nerdy depiction of Star Trek fans, which really in the 70s, you know, they've unearthed footage of the convention coverage back in the 70s, and they always, always cut to somebody dribbling in the corner of the room. That's Aww. who they cut to rather than, no, I'm, I'm just saying, they cut to the worst example of fandom that there could be. Now you tell me whether it's the 80s, the 90s, the 70s, what is different between being a Star Trek fan and loving what you love and going to a football game and painting yourself half blue and half orange. Yes. What is the difference? I don't understand. I never understood that. You know, I interviewed the cast of The Big Bang Theory the first season, and I asked them, I said, well, how do you define, you know, uh, how, what do you define a nerd? And I remember John, uh, Galecki uh, said to me, he goes, uh, he goes, I don't know. Nobody's asked me that. He goes, I don't know. He goes, how would you define a nerd? I said, isn't a guy who waves a big foam finger at a football game nerd? He goes, that's it. The next day, I speak to Jim Parsons. He goes, well, you know, yesterday Johnny told me that waving a foam finger is the same thing as being a nerd. I said, I told him that! <laughs> so anyway, but that's, that's a, it's part of culture that for some reason when it comes to Star Trek, people are just sort of dismissive. It's like, oh, that's, that's weird. That isn't? Yeah. So, I'm okay, I'm done, sorry. You, you have this, uh, there's a lot of ideas about what the fandom is, and then you come to a convention, and you see the broad diversity that is any fandom, really, but especially the Star Trek fandom. Ryan, you alluded to something I wanted to bring up, which is uh, the announcement that came a little bit later into the future that Star Trek was going to be rebooted. There was going to be a brand new cast, a brand new Enterprise. Uh, No, I'm not talking about the J.J. Abrams films. I'm talking about Star Trek The Next Generation. And the fan response 
when it was announced that there was going to be a new Star Trek, a new captain, and he was a Frenchman, um, and he was bald, um, and there was going to be a counselor on the bridge of the Enterprise, not really that welcomed by some of the fans. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what's happening in the late 80s, and Star Trek is now being relaunched and rebooted. Well, who's, who was in the 80s? Right. Who's for us? Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I, was, I was born. Then. <laughs> but I mean, it was, was born. <laughs> yeah. It was smart to call it the next generation because I was small and I was like, the next, what? There was another one? You know, like that uh, was implied. That ain't right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but I, that's how I knew that there was something before that and it kind of opened up for me. But I can't, like, I was just watched it with my parents. It wasn't like, oh, this is coming or it's the new version of. I always, defra- I always defaulted to my mom on this stuff because my mom and my dad, like, were just to like talk about their fandom for a second outside of Star Trek. They're they're like the couple who like got drunk and saw Star Wars on opening night. Like you know, like we're like in line as like a you know a young twenty something couple to see Star Wars because they love Star Trek and so they liked all these big science fiction movies. That's but, a great short story. You should write. That. <laughs> I interviewed my mom last year before Force Awakens came out about it. Um, but uh, you know, my mom would always, my mom and dad would always be like, my dad would be like, I don't know about this Picard guy. And my mom would be like, I think he's sexy, you know. <laughs> and so you know, and then Deep Space Nine would come on, and my dad would be like, I don't know about this Cisco guy. And my mom was like, I don't know, he's kind of sexy, <laughs> you know. And so you know, and it's just like, uh-huh. and my dad would be like, I don't know about Janeway. My mom would be like, I don't know, I like her, you know. And so it would be like one of those things where like I could see them mm. sort of, and they both ended up being. And I remember my dad, to his credit, would always just be like, they would always find things that they loved about the new Star Treks as we watched them. So I felt like that I saw them start to accept it. And also like LeVar Burton being on The Next Generation, I think that even for me as a young child was like... So exciting. That was like, like that was, he was my favorite character because I, cause he was from our generation. Like Reading Rainbow was something that was of the 80s. And so then I was like, oh, well that... You know, so I don't know. I think there was little... I think that for, I remember my dad who was the last holdout. I remember, you know, he would, they were, my parents graduated in 69, so they were old school Star Trek fans. I remember the moment was Best of Both Worlds, though. Mm. I remember them being like, oh man, yeah. shit, it's on now. Like, it's on now, you know, and it felt like it was new and big, and I think that is a, is a big moment for those old fans getting won over, which was, you know, third season? Yes. Hanger, yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 So let's, let's move in. So we got um, people have come around to the next generation. Star Trek VI happened, um, and the original cast has uh, set a course for a second Star Trek ride and stay straight on till morning. We're into the 90s now, which is really the zenith of the Star Trek franchise. So we have the next generation ending um, at the top of their game. Could have gone on for three more seasons. They end a few days after wrapping up All Good and Things. They're filming uh, a new f- uh, movie. We have Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and concurrently launching with that is Star Trek Voyager. We have Star Trek The Experience opening up in uh, Las Vegas. We also have now the internet has come online, and people are starting to form uh, message boards and role-playing games. And um, we also have a generation that grew up on the original series writing for Star Trek The Next Generation. So... The 1990s, it was the zenith of the Star Trek franchise. What was it like for fandom? I remember this time very, very well. Um, 
I just remember, uh, well, I remember crying because Next Generation was going off the air and that was my show. And, uh, and then I remember Voyager about to come out and a female captain, and that meant so much to me as a female, that there would be a strong female captain. And I remember Deep Space Nine being out there and I loved um, Kira Norris and she was strong. And so to me, during that time in my childhood, it was so important for me to have role models, really great role models that I could look up to as a young woman and be like, I can, be, I can do that. I can go out and I can go after what I want and, and not apologize for being who I am. Um, and it, even if I'm a woman, I can go ahead and, and succeed and not be intimidated by anything or anyone. And so I remember it giving me courage to choose where to go to school, what to study, just by looking at these female role models that really impacted me. Deep Space Nine, I think, when I watched it, and I think, you know, granted, now DS9 was always treated like the bastard stepchild of the franchise, so you either loved it or you hated it, pretty much. But what was exciting about Deep Space Nine, and I think a certain segment must have got excited about this as well, is it was a harbinger of things to come in television as a medium. Mm. It was one of the first shows to embrace the notion of serialization, and even if the episodes themselves weren't serialized, you came to realize that if something that happened in episode 12 would come back and bite you in the ass in episode 32. So it created a tapestry of storytelling that for fans was thrilling because it was just so different than anything that had come before in the franchise. Because everything was like, you know, Kirk loses Edith Keeler, next episode, he's fine, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good, Spock, we're having fun, we're on the bridge. Voyager, you end up with a ship, and this, I know you love Voyager, and I get Janeway, I get, understand totally what you're saying about Voyager. However, you get a show where they're out 75 light years from home, 75 years from home, they're coming home every single week that ship gets pummeled, and every single week that ship is pristine. Mm. How? How are they fixing this ship? They have replicators. <laughs> no, 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 no. They got no, bio-neural no. gel packs. All right, Ed. Replicate this. That ain't right. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, though, DS9 yeah. basically, what'd you say? <laughs> That's, oh, right. That's right. Yeah, they got, they got that's right. That explains engineer. it all. She polished that thing up. Uh, this anyway. is a fandom right here. This that's is right. what we do. <laughs> but that, but that's, that's why I say Star Trek was innovative in the 60s, and I think by the 90s, that innovation had to be appealing to people, even if it was smaller numbers, because, again, DS9 had a smaller crowd. But it was such a... Like, go to Netflix now. It's the perfect Netflix show before there was Netflix. Yeah, yeah but it was also riskier than anything that's on television now. And that's oh, what I always get so upset about. And that's why I love Star Trek so much and why I'm glad that Discovery is bringing Star Trek back to television is because I think that people will be like, blah, 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 show is so great. I'm like, Deep Space Nine not only was innovative, but it was it took more risks because they would have... I, I think that the problem with serialized television now is that it's almost exclusively about, like, who's going to die and power struggles, right, on, like, whatever popular show there is. And Deep Space, and D, D, Deep Space Nine had that, but it also had, like, let's do an episode about, like, this Brigadoon planet that appears and disappears, and that they fall in love on, you know, Jadzia falls in, uh, Meridian's the name of the episode, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, or they'll be like, Jake and, 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 and Ben are going to build a solar sailor ship and that's going to be an episode. They would have these weird, you can't even do that at all on TV anymore. You can't have weird episodes like that anymore at all. And I think that there's something about Deep Space Nine's format that facilitated that because they had such a diverse, rich group of 
it has the best characters of any Star Trek show to me. And fans, like as a fan, I subscribed to the Star Trek official fan club. I don't know if you guys remember that. It was like a magazine that came in the mail, right? And so they would like give you photos of like the Defiant before it was on. And so then you'd always be like, wow, this is like, I guess they're just going to start doing crazy shit on Star Trek now. They're just going to have like new, it felt like it was actually doing something new. And I know that sounds like really trite, but think about the last time you watched something that you really felt like it was felt not good, but like new. And I think that even when Deep Space Nine was bad, it was still new. And I think that for a fan, that, that was, I think that new and creative is more important than good. <laughs> you know, um, and I think that that's where Deep Space Nine, as a fan, I remember being like, wow, just my mind was blown by how different it was. So let's warp forward to the uh, 2000s. We have an era where Star Trek is uh, being criticized as becoming a little stale with Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, at the same time, we have other shows. We have Firefly. We have Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, we got some love for, for some of those shows here. We have Battlestar Galactica, which is really created as a reaction to Star Trek. It's trying to, trying to do some things that Ron Moore couldn't do on, on Deep Space Nine. Um, so you have other science fiction that is maybe being doing more creative stuff. We also have the mainstreaming of a lot of geek culture. A lot of those things that weren't cool, like having glasses, are now really cool. And it's really cool to go to Comic-Con and to be into these things and have these really cool Star Trek tees. So at the same time, we have the J.J. Abrams films, which are criticized by many as going too far into the direction of being a mainstream blockbuster. Let's talk about the 2000s. Star Trek's off the air, it comes back, it's mainstreamed. What's it like at this era of the fandom? Really divided? Hmm. Because there are people who want to, as I was saying earlier, there are people who just want to hold on to what came before, and all do, you know, props to you. If that's what you want to do, then great. But the problem is, You've got a thing who I just said earlier that J.J. saved Star Trek, and I believe that totally because Insurrection bombed, Nemesis bombed, Enterprise limped off the air. It was done. It was oversaturation of the franchise. So people were holding on desperately to what they had, and this new version, you're getting rid of the prime timeline. How could you do that? That's crazy. You know, how am I going to do that? It's like, I don't know, watch the DVDs. I mean, you know, watch it on Netflix. It's still there. Nobody's taking them out of circulation. So that's where I think the fandom really... I mean, people may have liked TNG or DS9 or whatever show they liked, but I got the vibe that when the J.J. movies came out, it really divided between haters of J.J. Abrams' films, the mainstream audience who said, oh, that movie was pretty cool. I mean, I have three sons in their 20s who love the J.J. movies. And when I try to get them to watch the original series, they'll watch it, but <laughs> reluctantly. And when I watch Star Trek VI with my one son, and he's 21 at the time or something... We're watching the ending of the movie, and I'm not going to do Shatner again, but he, he, Shatner makes Aww. his comment, all right, fine. Yay. It's about the future. You know, at the end when she says, what's this about? He goes, it's about the future, Madam Chancellor. Right? And, and he looks... So he lo good. He, he looks at... I've been practicing for many years. Um, but he looks at me, and he goes, hey, Dad, Star Trek's supposed to be about something, huh? That's what he said, which was like, yes. It was, it's supposed to be about something. But that's, the, that's the, the difference between the two. You can have your thoughtful Star Trek but that's not going to make money at the box office. Mm. It's just the reality of the situation. So again, you go back to, do I accept J.J. Abrams and see these movies, or not, whatever it is, but do you hate it? Because if you hate it enough, it goes away, and then start, again, Star Trek is gone. Or do you sort of just say, all right, it's not my kind of thing, but uh, it's not my cup of royalty, but it's, uh, uh, but it's Star Trek, and I may love the original better, 
but I don't have to hate on, on this. And the problem, that's what I said, you said the 2000s, what happened? I felt that, that there was a, that was the real divide, not between TOS and TNG, but between everything that came before and JJ's reboot. Mm. So, that's my opinion. CC Jose, I want to bring you in on this. Um, I know, I, I feel bad because I just was not a fan until, I'm just thinking back. I wasn't a fan until 2010, yeah. so I have very little to say about fandom before 2010. But you came in right with the the Kelvin t- timeline was was going on with Star Trek, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, yeah. and, and now beyond. Uh, what was your reaction to this rebooting? Well, um, to the rebooting, yeah, I was just I was very excited about it. I was there opening night and in my costume, which I would be wearing today, except I didn't have it with me where I'm staying. Um, I was. I was, in fact, I was more excited even about uh, the second new movie, which people didn't like quite as much, but I knew it was going to be Khan, and I, when, when he, when Cumberbatch was, am I saying his last name right, was revealed as Khan, I was like, Khan! <laughs> I think I was the only person that was excited that he was Khan, everybody else already knew it was going to happen, but I, I wanted to, I was very excited. I just wanted more. I wanted more Star Trek, and there I was being given more Star Trek in a high-quality package. So I, I have, a great way of putting it. In a, yeah, in a high-quality. In a high-quality yeah. package. Yeah. So um, I'm even more excited now for Discovery because uh, it sounds like it's going to be an even higher-quality package um, and serialized. So um, I what what I was thinking though is that um, if we can go away from the movies, um, because I was, let's see, 2010, I don't know how exactly old I was, I think I was 28-ish, um, and I came to Star Trek late, and I was very isolated in my Star Trek fandom. I was just watching all of Star Trek Next Generation by myself. Um, I only knew of one other person that was a fan at that time. Um, he then became what is now my ex-husband. Um, and that was, our, that was our bond, but I didn't have anybody beyond that. Um, and so when he suggested that we go to a Star Trek convention in what town in New Jersey? I can't even remember. It was at a, a hotel ballroom somewhere. And it was the most exciting thing I'd done in, in years because I'd just never been, I'd never been a fan of anything actually. I'd never been a fan of a music person, a band, uh, a television show, anything. I'd never shared my fandom with anybody before. Um, And to walk into a room where I knew that all 300 people there were excited about the same thing that I was, it was was the most freeing thing to know that when you and I start talking, we're going to have something in common to speak about. And maybe we'll then even get beyond just talking about Star Trek and talk about, I don't know, our children or our lives or this or that and find the other connections. So fandom was a, fandom period was a discovery for me and Star Trek fandom, I think was, I'm just gonna say probably the best way to enter fandom period because people are so welcoming and um, excited to, you know, once you get past the first few sort of tests, like, what's your favorite episode? <laughs> um, if you can pass, like, you know, you can say a captain that you like, and you can say an episode, then you are wide-armed welcome. <laughs> so, it was exciting for me. Unless Obviously. You say, unless you say Tuvix. Nobody likes Tuvix. Anyway. If you can get the joke, you can at least be accepted. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, um, when, when the movies, I remember... Oh, no, uh, I was just going to say, when the movies came out, yeah. that was the first time that I could go to work and 
you watch that, that new Star Trek movie, mm-hmm. I never had a conversation like that about things that I like. It's very exciting. You know? I mean, yeah, I was yeah. like, what? <laughs> there's other stuff too, have you watched that? And then it became okay to have that conversation. It was hard before that, you know, and I, I loved it, so yeah, thank you. Like, I agree, like, it, it, JJ brought it back, and just, I, I can remember, like, being in the office, and just somebody that I knew sort of okay well, like, did you watch that movie? It was fantastic. And now it's conventions and Comic-Cons and this. It's great, yeah. Um, I remember coming out and hearing the responses in social media world and, um, you know, you hear people on TV and, and things and people being disappointed. And I think it's because the same reason why I didn't take to the new J.J. Abrams. I, I, I love it. I want to support it. I agree. If it's not your thing, watch what you love that you started with, which will always be TNG and those episodes for me, and I support it, I do. But I think it's lack of, um, you know, the character bonds that was present in Next Gen for me and present in the original between the original cast members. They just had some kind of magnetic chemistry that was just so much stronger, I think, than the new actors. Um, I think, and a lot of it, it's not fair because Mm. they're trying to recreate those relationships that already existed. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And, you know, so they're not able to start a character from scratch and be able to, you know, they have a trickier role there, trying to recreate something that was already there. I also think Enterprise failed in that as well. As much as I love it and I watched it, it didn't suck me in immediately because the characters weren't as strong for me as they were in Next Gen. So I don't think it was a lack, I, I don't think it was a saturation in my opinion. I think we could have had so much more Star Trek had Enterprise not failed. Um, and not, I don't want to say failed because it went as long as it could, but I mean if, it, if the characters were stronger, um, I feel like that excites the fans that much more. They can relate just like how I related as a little girl. I wonder a little bit about, I love Enterprise, it's, it's I, probably my second favorite series, but I wonder, um, one of the things about Star Trek, one of the unfortunate things about it, although not if you're a fan of it, they, they recreate the same relationships over and over again. And I wonder if after so many franchise versions, um, they just couldn't play the, um, you know, logical uh, companion to the emotional companion um, paradigm. If they just done that That's too many point. times. Maybe you it know? was just done it was too much. a lot of Spock and Kirk, a lot yeah. of data to everybody else, a lot of uh, to Paul, to... Troop. Yeah. Right. Yes, yeah. I was like the only exception, it seems. Right, that was the only one that didn't really have... I guess, but they had um, Odo to everybody else. I guess, but you know, there's, so there, there's always like the, the, yeah, the yeah, stringent yeah. person who follows the rules yeah. and doesn't understand, and then there's you know like the, the emotional guy who's just going to do whatever he wants, and so, <laughs> and that, that, it's a, it's a fascinating dynamic. But when you've seen it for the eighth time, then um, I just wonder if they ran out of human relationships after a while to model. So um, one last question, and then we're going to get to Q and A. Um, where are we headed? It's uh, 2016, 50th anniversary. Uh, Star Trek is coming back on TV, sort of. It's going to be on the internet, but you can watch it on your TV. Um, where are we headed with the fandom? I think that it's going to. I think that it's super exciting. It's also. I think we're back in a place where um, every new revelation about Discovery surprises me. 
I'm like, well, I didn't see that coming. You know, the news came out that it's going to be set 10 years before the original series. I was like, weird. Um, You know, they, um, last year or earlier this year, they're like, we brought Nick Meyer back. I was like, I've been like yelling into a void. They should have been doing that for 10 years. I never thought that was going to really happen. Um, And then they're like, oh, the lead character is going to be a woman and she's going to be named number one, maybe in honor of the cage. And it's like, I couldn't have seen any of this coming. And so I think that where we're headed is into an area of surprise which is great in an era where you know things get rebooted and then they seem really familiar. I feel like that they are going to take chances, and that to me is all I want out of exciting fiction: <laughs> is actually to be surprised. Sounds like we're about to boldly go. Um, all right, let's get some questions. If you could please make your question very quick, so we can get to everyone. Uh, sir, you had your hand up first. procedural feel? Um, or they have that, that, that human element in the sci-fi. Mm. We have the, the mundane and baking potatoes and the whatever and then the fantastic world is on Mars. You know, the other thing is that when Beyond started production, Paramount was somebody, an executive at Paramount, said, well, we're looking for Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. And instead of letting Star Trek be Star Trek, they, let it, they wanted it to be something that it wasn't. Mm. And the marketing showed that. He was a fan of Star Wars. And he threw exactly. Yeah, Star Wars things in there, like yep. Punch It, and you know, R2's in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he should have been a fan of Star Wars. But, but I like <laughs> Beyond. That's I thought that Beyond, here. I mean, Beyond, though, is written by Simon Pegg. And, and Simon Pegg consulted the guys who wrote uh, uh, Memory Alpha, the Star Trek wiki, to like make that script accurate. So like, I remember talking to people that like the other J.J. Abrams that don't like Beyond. <laughs> you know? um, and so I don't know. I loved Beyond. Which is another great example of the fandom being involved in the production of new Star Trek. Let's take a question. Any questions over here? Yes. Well, I will say this, is that like, I, I write about Star Wars a lot also, but I have found that um, when people, <laughs> people disagree with you differently in those fandoms, right? Because there's more Star Trek to talk about, right? With Star Wars, there's less of it in terms of what's in the canon. 
And Star Trek fans um, tend to be more interested in the philosophies than the minutiae. I, I like the minutiae too. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But I think that like I've got, I, I feel like that some Star Wars fans have come after me for loving Star Trek sometimes. And I don't want to bag on Star Wars fans because I'm a Star Wars fan too. But so sometimes, yeah. Um, but yeah, Star, if you're a Star Trek fan, you can, I think that it lets you be a little bit more like uh, accepting. Yeah. When uh, I, just when give I get me a few looks- years and there will be plenty of Star Wars to argue yeah. over. Uh, last rapid fire question. Yes. Perfect question. Let's go down the row. What should this person watch? Next Generation, at least by starting third season on. Do you have an episode? Oh, start with Best of Both Worlds. It will suck you right in, and you'll just continue watching it all the way through. Ryan. Uh, You've never seen it before. Watch Star Trek 2, 3, and 4. Perfect. That's where you start. The trilogy. Ed? If I had to, and you already took the TNG, I'd say DS9, starting with Way of the Warrior, season four, where Worf joins the show, and Avery shaves his head and grows his goatee. Completely different, <laughs> completely different performances. It's amazing. Um, I'm going to go crazy and say, jump in with Wrath of Khan. Just watch that, and then go from there. Okay. Jose? I recently watched uh, First Contact. Oh, and yeah. I just thought it was like a celebration of so many things going on. Mm. And I kind of feel like that's like a good place. It's like it's new enough, but it celebrates. You'll have a lot of questions to look up online. That's a good point. That's a great so one. we are out of time, folks. But I do want you to be able to connect with this awesome panel. Tecla, where can people reach you? Uh, I'm on Twitter a lot. <laughs> Tecla Vasti is my name. Um, just look me up. Jose, where can people find you? Uh, geektherapy.com. Where this panel will actually be, um, we're going to share it on Geek Therapy. Yep. Cece, where can people find you? At ccjames.com. Or no, yes. Yes. Yeah. At ccjames and ccjames.com. Okay. We can help you find yourself too if you need help Thank with you. that. Um, Ed. Just Twitter at Ed Gross. Yeah. And Ryan. Yeah, Twitter, Ryan Seabrit. And then uh, um, on inverse.com, I'm writing a lot about Star Trek uh, for the whole rest of the year. <laughs> I'm Ali Matu at Ali Matu on Twitter, and this has been the evolution of Star Trek fandom. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.